0: Well howdy do does and welcome to Out of the Broom Cupboard. This month's episode is a little bit later than usual but that's because myself and the guest have been very very busy boys in pantomime in Lincoln. By the time you hear this the pantomime will probably be over but I implore you to go and check out the programming of the new Theatre Royal in Lincoln. Head to ntrlincoln.co.uk and uh, give them some love. Go and see a show there or just give them a lovely review on TripAdvisor like you've visited in the past or something. They're a nice place. Uh, As I said, the guest has been busy with me here because we've been doing pantomime, and one of our other stars on the stage has been a lovely man called Chris Hayes, who's sat next to me. Hello, Chris. Hello there. Good day to you, Squire. Uh, Welcome to Out of the Broom Cupboard. Thank you. Um, This is the intro bit, where I'm supposed to give some information about the guest and tee them up and really big them up for the listener. Okay. Um, Because, of course... People will already know who it is because they've gone to patreon.com slash ootbc and become patrons. And if they haven't, they really should. Don't so you think so? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you, you say you... that
1: really, really quickly, actually.
0: You know, I'm, it's, I, it's like the terms and conditions at the end of an advert. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do not take more than four of these. If it takes four hours before you see results, see a doctor. <laughs> but I thought, since uh, Barney Harwood is this month's subject, yes. and you've been working with him now for the past month and a half uh, alongside us have oh, indeed on stage in Robin Hood, Uh, maybe you'd be the person to ask for some words to sum up the man Um, keep in mind we can't swear on this podcast but you can make rude gestures to me whilst you're talking (laughs) I'd never do that I'm very professional well put that away try it (laughs) yes what are you doing anyway Um, yes Barney Harwood well um, he's a very lovely man he really is I like listening to his stories Um, I could listen to him all day to be honest with you um I didn't really watch him as a kid because we we're all the same age. Um, but no, he's, a, he's just a lovely man. He knows how to speak to people. Um, but like I said, his stories are absolutely amazing to listen to. Would you like to hear him tell a story about uh, working with David Attenborough? Absolutely, I well, would. you should stay tuned, Chris. I, well, stay tuned to this thing that we're currently in. Thank you. <laughs> this, I, I this think recording. I will, definitely. Thank you for joining me and, and teeing him up. You're welcome. I would have just said rude words. No, he's a lovely man. He is a lovely man. He's a lovely man. But a terrible woman. Uh, Well, I haven't gone that far yet. Give it time. Yeah. (laughs) Without further (laughs) ado, boys, girls, ladies and gents, here is Out of the Broom Cupboard. Enjoy. Bye.
1: I go by many names. (laughs) Some call me Paul. Some call me Marjorie Geek. Some call me... Some call me that guy what used to be on telly.
0: Some call me Mr. Coldroom. Some call me Nike Pumps. Some call me (laughs) Danon.
1: Some call me Slit Bang. And the dirt is gone. Some
0: call me Two sweetness, please. Some call me PS Five. <laughs> some, hmm, some call me, but never call me late for dinner. Mm, we could mm. do this for hours, couldn't we? We could. That's the problem. Um, that's the problem because we've only got realistically about uh do, do 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 an hour and a half before we need to be good boys and go to the theatre.
1: Well, that's. I mean, that's plenty of time <laughs> to talk about stuff, you know, to um, to iron out the creases, to work out the juju. Beads. beads. <laughs> you're Bringing your juju beads. Uh, There's going to be plenty of Mighty Boosh references in this chat, I think. I
0: think, I'll be honest, I don't even think we should talk about your life and career. I think we should just talk just Boosh. Just, just, just do the Boosh. Sod it. Um, yeah, for those who've already been listening for the last five minutes, you heard the intro. Hi, how you doing? I'm with Barney. He's in a room with me right now. I'm scared. You are? Well, it's because... <laughs> so, we're recording this while we're doing Pantomime in Lincoln. And we were going to record at the theatre, but yesterday was a three-show day and the stage manager, when I asked him, what time will the theatre be open, said, no, no later than 12.30. Is no one going to come in earlier? No, sod off. I was like, fair enough, you've had a very long day. So we're recording this in my dirty little murder room, or as I prefer to call it, my panto digs. And uh, you're sat in the comfy chair. This is one of my favourite
1: chairs I've ever sat in. Really? And I've only been in it for five minutes, yeah. <laughs> it's like a gamer's chair, but you can't go back in it and there's no speakers in the headrest. It's like... um. Like a big, fat, leathery recliner. Think Joey and Chandler from Friends, but it's lower for some reason. Like if I fell out of it, I wouldn't have far to fall. And it's just, it puts you in the perfect position. And I'll be honest, the perfect mood.
0: Good. Well, uh, now I'm going to hit you with the heart-hitting questions oh, and, and sour that mood slightly. Not, not really, not questions. Really. Banu Hawu. What? Uh, Banu, humble servant. Um, you, you have, you've, you've, you've been around. Jesus Christ. Normally in the show, uh, so far, I've spoken to a lot of folks who've been who've been within the industry, as it were, for about maybe a maximum of 10 years. Yeah. You've, you have uh, you have pipped the post so much already. I mean, for starters, you've started a professional career with CBBC alone, never mind like pre-that. Is how many years back now kicking off? Uh, it's 18 years. 18 years, uh, mm-hmm. which for the age of 21 is remarkable that you managed to fit that all in,
1: <laughs> really.
0: That's why you're recording this and not filming it. My face has got many lines yes but, but they are mighty lions like yeah. Aslan okay. um, so there you go yeah I love that there you are um, and I'd, I think to try and cram everything in in this would be uh, ridiculous and an insult to people's time because they'd be like what, what are you doing well, I've, I've got places to be this podcast is 8 hours long
1: I do like the idea though of someone sitting down to listen and we go so we've got 18 years to cover go and then I go ok day one I, uh, <laughs> I went the to beginning. Manchester yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's quite a lot to cover, isn't there? I mean, you could do it by title, you could do it by show, you could do it by era, you could do it by presenter's lineup. I don't know how you want to play this game. I, it's, it's, For me, that amount of time has gone by quicker than I imagined it would. Mm. It's quite scary, actually, to be 40 years old, looking back over a career that lasted that long and think, my God, did I actually do any of that? Or was it just this a random puppet that was just sort of, you know, pulled from pillar to post. Because a a lot of it sort of um, feels like a distant memory. And and people tell me things that I've done. I'm like, oh yeah, I did do that. Yeah, no, I remember. Or I'll I'll meet people and go, I met you before. And they go, we worked together for two years. You know, because it was just, Mm. it was relentless. I became the guy that was just, I mean, (laughs) some people think it's a measure of success when you do so much. Mm. I think it was the opposite. I think I was really keen and they basically abused it they, they, they made me do everything because they wanted to do everything but you end up doing five shows a week for two years and you know not able to breathe by the end of it it was, um, it was a very different experience for me living it than it was for those people watching it I think I was exhausted by the time I was 27 I was done and I'd only been there for you know six years yeah. but I, I'd done so much stuff so a typical week for me at one point I was presenting Prank Patrol Bear Behaving Badly Smile Totally Doctor Who, and I was doing these inserts for BBC Two, which were like a little internet thing that I was doing for a while. You know, when that internet, what when it became popular?
0: When kids started to get into
1: it. Yeah, before the social media nonsense started. Type out emails with 400 characters in the title. Exactly. Back when you used to to actually search for a website, it would make this noise.
0: It would take 20
1: seconds before you even saw a bar move. Yeah, back in
0: the day. Welcome That's, to That was well. a good dial-up impression. Thank you. Um, so, it It's the first impression I ever mastered. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there wasn't uh, anything else sorry. around, was there? It's all we had to do back in those days.
1: It was um, pre bebo Bert Reynolds oh. was around. You could have started with him. <laughs>
0: he, was um, a,
1: he was a good man. I loved Bert Reynolds when I was a kid. I wanted to be Burt Reynolds. If you haven't seen Burt Reynolds or you don't know who he is, Google him immediately. You'll just find a picture of a moustache on a smiley face.
0: Um, he was always using the phone when I wanted to go on the internet. It was always a, very annoying. That was the thing. If someone used the phone, you couldn't go online.
1: Yeah. This is before phones had screens, you know. And they told yeah. him what was going on. I used to play a game called Worm on my phone. I used to use the numbers on the pad. I think it was two, one, two, three, four. Yeah, it'll have been two, four, six, and eight. Yeah, to go up, up and down, down left left and left right. right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Wowzers! how
1: <laughs> times have changed. So I, I digress. Back to me doing those five shows during the week. So on Monday, I'm in Cardiff doing totally Doctor Who. So
0: that was shot. That was shot on. Location, on, with on the location. and everything. Yeah, uh,
1: literally, ne- I could smell David Tennant's breath. I was that close. Uh, the the moat. It uh, was the called? boat. The boat. Uh, upper boat. The, the upper moat. Upper holes. Oh, it was the, the downward plummets. The float. Uh, I just like rhyming words. I have no idea. Again, this is one of those things you'll find with me. I can give you lots of information about where I was and what I was doing, but I couldn't tell you the name of the people that were there or the studio name or anything like that. It was just so fast and so quick, and it was one to the next. And I was so tired. I was literally operating on coffee and sweets that's the absolute truth which is why I had kidney failure so many years later um, also the truth um, so I'd, i was doing, so I'd in Cardiff on Monday finish at half eight get in the car drive to Manchester stay over up at six Manchester would then be a shoot for Frank Patrol for two days uh, and then by the time Thursday comes it's time to do the live so I'd be on uh, air for 12 hours then on the Friday back down to wherever it was to do more shoots for location stuff for Cardiff um, and then I'd do the internet stuff on the Sunday but I'd do it at home if I wasn't around in the studio or I'd do it back in TC2 Or it was just nuts and it, and it was that thing for two years it was, it was relentless absolutely relentless which is I guess that's why I look back now and I can't remember half of it but um, best days of my life
0: what drove it do you think for you at the time because obviously the exhaustion mustn't have been a it mustn't have been a hindrance for you. There was something pushing you to keep going. Was it the? Was it just the love of doing it, or was it? I was you know. excited. I
1: was so excited Okay. because I could call somebody, and that somebody was normally either my best mate or my dad. Say, Dad, I've got another the show. Dad, I've got. Dad, I'm now. I'm working with David Tennant. It's Doctor Who. It's this and it's that. And it became um, in the same way accolades. I, I feel the same about those now. It, it was just. um I come from a very small village where not a lot happens and for the majority of my young life I was told that I would never amount to anything and I was told that by my parents by my teachers Mm. by people around me I was just that idiot kid with glasses who played a bit of piano in the church hall but was never going anywhere you know. and nobody from where I come from did go anywhere so I think when I first started to do something it was so surreal that everything that I believed about myself was actually starting to be unpicked and it was it was feeling like I might be capable of more and people were telling me that I was good at something and then they would say, would you like to do something else? And it was like, yeah, of course I would because I'm that guy from Blackpool who's never going to do anything. I'll show them. And it became kind of a, I don't know, for me a double-edged sword because I was trying to do something to prove that I was capable of everything people told me I wasn't capable of. But at the same time, there was no real... Um, I'm not trying to be careful about what I say I'm just trying to be really honest about what I say I think it was there wasn't much enjoyment in it I didn't have much time to enjoy what I was doing mm-hmm. people ask me questions about Blue Peter like oh that film was amazing That you did the skydiving <laughs> and then you did the bungee jumping and you did the, the wing walking you, you're on a desert island and what was your favourite challenge and the experience of doing those things is very different to, to what you see on camera because if you're a presenter and if you're thinking about your lines and where you're standing and what you need to do next and whether it's three or four takes that you've done so far, then all you're really looking at is the red light. You know this yourself. You're really just yeah. in the zone of getting this job done. You're there to do a job. So wing walking. I was strapped to the wings of a biplane and flown upside down underneath Helen Skelton while she was trying to pass me a baton. An interesting fact here for you. I was so overweight at the time that I was creating drag. What? Ha! <laughs> True. I was what? nearly, I was nearly thirteen stone. I went, I went through it because you can't look after yourself, and certainly as you get older, it's, it's harder to lose weight. So if you're if you're doing what I was doing for Blue Peter, which was just working every other day, you don't have time to go to the gym and look after yourself, and all you're doing is keeping yourself going by eating service station food and you know that nonsense that you get in those shops that are just sponsored by sugar companies. Yeah. Um, try going to any kind of shop and buying something that doesn't have sugar in it. It's impossible. Oh, it's, it makes next impossible. It's unbelievable. So if you and if you're operating on you know two cylinders, which I was. There will be a few engineering references in this in this chat. <laughs> then you've got to use those quick fixes like coffee and sugar to keep you going. So it it was I was literally operating with no sleep, looking at the camera, thinking about where I'm going. I couldn't tell you what I did on that shoot. I couldn't tell you about how it feels to be in the air on an aeroplane. Yeah. I couldn't tell you about and we were there for a good four or five hours. I didn't really experience it I was more bothered about the shots
0: yeah you just want to make sure that everything like I said that everything on the list is checked off you want to know that it's done you're and, there to and do a job something like that you've kind of only got one shot at getting a specific bit shot as well exactly. so you need to, plus, need to be on it. Well,
1: plus unfortunately for us I mean, but there's, a, there's a guy <laughs> in the industry called Ryan Windley who's one of the best sound guys in the business he's hired for everything because he's just he's just good at what he does and he's he does exactly what he says on the tin and um, oh handling noise The microphone was moved from right to left. It
0: shunted ever so slightly. Yeah,
1: I'm a bit louder now. I'll talk quieter. Um, So, unfortunately for him, the frequency of the engines that were in these aeroplanes happened to interfere with the exact frequency of his kit. Oh. So he recorded an entire interview with me and Helen upstairs in these planes upstairs <laughs> in, the, in the sky, and um,
0: see even now
1: still thinking back on it, it as like just a shot list. Like so it was just me up. So we were quite high. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, so we're flying at eight thousand feet at four hundred and fifty mile an hour. But for me, that's upstairs. Um, and we got back down after about an hour, and he, his face was just ash, and he was like, oh, "Guys, God. this has never happened to me before. I don't know what's gone on, but we've basically lost that entire hour." We've only got a certain amount of time with the, you know, with the flight crew yeah. because fuel costs a lot of money. Their time costs a lot of money. Yeah. So it then became a shoot. It then became a right. How do we problem solve this? How do we make sure that this is, this is right and fixed? Because mm. we, we've now lost everything we've just done. And we don't have much time to make it right again. So yeah. all the flying, all the upside down stuff, all the spins that we did—that was just us getting going through the motions of getting the shots and then going on to the next one. It's quite bizarre to say that I'm sat here talking about doing what some people would consider to be one of the most amazing experiences and I, and I couldn't I can't really recall it all I can tell you is what shots there were and what camera I was looking at
0: yeah, and that, just on it got down to the ground and was like right oh Bugger, okay, so how do we fix this bit then? We need to do that. Yeah. So what did you do? Did you just do like a pickup interview we basically, in the cockpit? Or... We basically
1: chop the sequences up. So when you film, you film in sequence. Well, they <laughs> used to, not so much anymore. Now you just yeah. have a runner with a camera.
0: Yeah, but, Spo- spoiler um, alert, everybody. Uh, when the people arrive at location, 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 and go to the house and meet them for the first time, it's probably the eighth thing they've shot that day. not the first time, yeah. yeah. I, um, so I, I try not to
1: talk about TV too much,
0: because I sound really cynical, and I don't mean to be.
1: It's just that it's been my life <laughs> for that
0: long. Well, that perspective to me is, is I mean, for, for me as someone who's worked within that as well, it's refreshing to kind of hear things spoken about and then strip down basic terms. And again, cathartic to hear. We spoke about this in the Shannon episode. Sometimes it's nice to talk about the stuff that really grinds your gears about mm. it all. And it's good. But also I think for everyone listening right now, it's, it's, this is to paint a picture of what it is like. So if there's stuff that makes you go, oh, bloody hell, then sure. Go for it. Like it's, it is an amazing, and we'll never, never knock this. It's an amazing profession to work in, but like any other job, like any other realm of expertise and whatnot, it has massive downsides. It has bumps. It has stuff that, that gets on your wick. It's it's bound to happen. And there'll be those who go, yeah, but you make making telly. It's like, yeah, but you know, when you're doing that in the moment, it's just as frustrating as anything else can be.
1: I try and talk people out of it. I get asked questions quite a <laughs> yeah. lot, and they say, "I want to be a TV presenter." I say, "Don't." Really well, I, I
0: say don't because it's already a tough enough audition market as it is, and I don't want them to dilute it even further. And also, you're you know like very handsome and um, taller than me, so you'll clearly get the jobs. So please go away. But I don't know what you mean it's it, <clears throat> it's better to say, "Look, this isn't as happy, shiny, smooth as you think it it's is." It's not what you think. Yeah. And and sure. you have to either be ready to tackle that or find out if it's something you'd be comfortable putting, you know, dipping a toe into that pool.
1: I think because of where we are now, because YouTube is, to say it's saturated
0: is an understatement, obviously,
1: but um, because it means that anybody can get a camera Mm. and anybody can film something, and that's why you have these flat earthers on YouTube. (laughs) Um, There are people that are just, I I mean, it's nonsense a lot of it, Mm. but if you've got something to say and if you're creative, I think it's, it's, it's actually a good idea to have Work your own auditions out yourself. You know, get a camera, get a decent mic, get a laptop, set yourself up in your bedroom, and start planning what you might do. You know, if you want to be a TV presenter that badly, then you can work it out. You can. It's not just about being in front of the camera on that show. You know, that happens to be alongside the jungle, which those people present, which I'm not going to talk about. Because TV for me, the the way that
0: it's done now is just there's no skill in it anymore. It's it's very it's very. Production line. It's, yeah. it's this is how things are done, and we shall not change it now because yeah. it's easy and we've figured out the formula to get it over with. And you don't have to have anything to say.
1: I mean, <coughs> yeah, it's just it's relentless nonsense. I, I'm 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 not a fan of television. I never I haven't really ever been a fan of television. I don't like watching it. I can mm-hmm. sit and watch documentaries, and I can you know th- those things on those
0: series on YouTube and
1: Netflix and stuff. But yeah, oh, you're you're as, a big dochead. I love docs. You're
0: a massive dochead. I am. true um, Nearly every day of, the, of this run of the Panther have come in and you've recommended something new to me and I'm like, Is it about murder? and you're like, Yes. And I'm like, Well maybe maybe later. <laughs> maybe later when I've when I've got a clear head and I'm not most to of be them, a clown
1: all most day." Most of them are murder documentaries, yeah. <laughs> but what I find fascinating about murder documentaries just to just to divert a tiny bit here. The reason I like murder documentaries is because it's got that murder she wrote angle. I loved Murder Ooh. She Wrote when I was a kid. You know that, that moment where she solves it and you get to watch the, the you know the sequences put together.
0: It the it's the it's the the the, the scene in every Agatha Christie where Poirot or Marple or whatever, and it gathers people yeah. in a room at the end and goes right it's that well. moment
1: where they solve it and that's what you're thats what you buying is that's why you're invested and so from the off on some of these murder documentaries because the, the one of course that everyone will know is, is making
0: a murder which is the Stephen Avery case um, that really m- snowballed what we see today is like the boom of them isn't it but yeah. about th- three or four years ago the first series came out it must out. be yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it must be. it's led to what Psych and um, oh, oh, Jinx sorry Jinx the Jinx was and I think don't F with cats and like all the stuff coming out which I watched a couple out. of nights ago Go. yeah you started on that one haven't you Lucy yeah. started that too she was I saying find, you've got to see it when you get back and I'm I like let it, me yeah. let me do the clown thing first and then
1: I'll, it's, I'll come um, back it's unbelievable <laughs> What's, what I find fascinating about that is it, it opens <coughs> a real door into well it gives you an insight into how powerful the internet is
0: hmm.
1: you know two people here have managed to track down a murderer yeah. from a YouTube video that he posted
0: Yeah,
1: how? how does that happen? in one of the shots and I'm not giving anything away here he's actually just walking past an internet cafe so, his profile. And the, the, the internet cafe has a, a security camera inside, facing out through the front door. And as this guy walks past, they clock him. That's our man. That's where he is. Right now, they've got a time code. They know what day it was, what shop it is, they've got the address. And From just, there, they can figure out where he's headed. They yeah,
0: like, yeah. the police, and he's, he's right there. It's unbelievable. Um, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been caught, of course, but what I'm saying is if he hadn't made a YouTube video and instead had uh, gone into presenting television, they never would have caught him. Uh, not sure what the moral is there, but it does segue me slightly back towards the topic at hand, which is smooth. That was really smooth. I, I, I am known for my segways mm. and how, like the inventor of the segway, they tend to go off a cliff.
1: On he a died. Segway.
0: He did. He
1: died on his own wheels,
0: showing off how smooth and how good the turns and stops were. Why would you go to the edge of a cliff to do that? <clears throat> because you've just earned all that money from like selling lived? Well, no, no, it was more just that thing of, I'm on top of the world, baby! Look at me! Look at how quick this thing can go! I can stop before I get to the edge of the. And he's off. It was a literal geography. No, it doesn't, no, doesn't, doesn't make any no, sense. It doesn't, no, it doesn't work. But what does work is uh, your musical talents. Ha, segue. Because, as you said, you're playing piano in the church when as a kid. Is music your gateway into your career as uh, the, the genesis? Because I know one of your first sort of professional gigs was as part of a boy band.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. Thank you. Well, I um, have to
0: bring it up, Barney, because I, I want to talk to you about whether or not you wore shirts down open uncomfortably to the mid-chest. I still do. you overtly gelled your hair. Mm. Um, and
1: my chest. I gelled my chest as well. That, well. <laughs> um,
0: I was 17 years old,
1: and um, when you are 17 years old, as you know, you are... a. Baby, you are a boy. Mm. You are a child at seventeen years a old. A Ben, you were 12 five years ago. You are a tiny little person
0: yeah. with
1: little experience, and you are basically told what to do, and you do it. Um, but those those times in my life, I actually experienced. They were they were the best. We we went on tour with Five, and I met the Spice Girls, and I did all these things in the early days. Was well, it the late nineties, uh, ninety eight to be precise? That um, and there's there's no internet <coughs> here. There's, there's, nothing, yeah, there's no uh... interaction with social media. It's all you're experiencing everything. Nothing is, is based on a screen that you're looking at. It was all real life. If you look up from your phones, it's amazing what you can see and what you can experience. Um, I So basically, long story short, I wrote music in a band. I was taken on by a guy called Nigel Martin-Smith, who was Take That's manager. He saw potential. He got one of his receptionists, a lady called Nicola at the time, to call me on the phone. The real phone, not the one that you carry around with, you, the one that was attached to the house
0: ah um, the the red one the, the one glows. that rings in the yeah. house
1: yeah that one those ones we used to have uh, and she said uh, we've heard you tape and if I remember rightly I think I recorded because I used to do this flashy party piece mm. I can play incredibly fast oh right and uh, my music <laughs> teachers fine flashy thank goodness my music teachers yeah no I used to just whip my pants off while I was playing <laughs> um, my my music teachers didn't never liked me much and, and it was it was absolutely you know reciprocated I, <laughs> I, I I wasn't really a big fan of the way they were telling me to do things and all they were doing was their job. You know, they were teaching me that staccato goes like this. Bumps, it's a little... And I was like, well, why can't it be like this? La- well, because that's not staccato. Well, I want to <laughs> play it like this. So I was a really tough, stubborn kid. And I don't know why. I think it was just because I'd grown up in a household where I was told what to do every day and it was just, this was my creative thing. You know, I'd seen my heroes like Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder and Jimi Hendrix, Ingeve Malmsteen, he's niche, but people will know who he is if they're into classical music. They were rebels Nobody told them what to do. Nobody said, here's your you know, skill and here's your talent. And, oh, and by the way, you must play it in the key of B flat or you must play it at this tempo. They broke the rules and I liked people who broke the rules. The problem was that I didn't know how to gauge my own rule breaking at the age of 12 when I was learning. I just thought I was Jimi Hendrix and of course I was not. Uh, and it also was not cool to set fire to my sister's uh, toy guitar that belonged to her Barbie doll. But I was trying to reenact that famous, iconic moment at the Astoria, and it went horribly wrong, and plastic (laughs) burning does not smell good. Uh, Neither does the sound of your sister crying, or the noise of the ambulance, or the feel of a hot, wet hand on your bare buttock. So, um, that was a a very, very uh, real moment for me. Um, So I wanted to be a rebel, I wanted to write music, and I wanted to do something that was going to be... um, that was going to be noted, that was going to be noticed. And so I was writing things that I just didn't have the experience or the skill to do. I was trying too many things. And so I did this thing, this party piece with a song called Desperado by the Eagles. It's a really slow (coughs) ballad. Mm. Uh, It's a beautiful song, but I was putting licks in it. I was putting things that didn't belong there and playing around with it and being experimental. And again, I was only about 17 when I was doing this and I sent it off. And then I just did this one party piece, uh, which was just me playing super fast. Um, and I, I, whatever it was about it I don't know what Nigel saw I'm, de- I'm delighted that he did he obviously heard something that he was like my oh god this kid's different let's get him in and see what he can do and so I was invited to Manchester I didn't have a suit at the time so I borrowed my brothers I didn't have any <laughs> grill cream so I used WD-40 and my dad took me to uh, Nigel's office in South King Street in Manchester and he just basically sat there and, right I'm looking for a boy band I think you're going to be the keyboard player the one we've got rubbish I'm going to get you in and you can take over. How does that sound? I was like, well, that sounds great. What do you need? Just write loads of songs and make me loads of money. That's all he said. <laughs> so, right, okay, fine. Leave it with me. Well, um, at least he was direct, I suppose. Oh, he's one of my favourite people on earth. Yeah, I'm, It's very difficult not to swear when you do an impression of Nigel. Um, <clears> so <throat> I, he, he I, basically I, thank said... Thank you for, for managing. <laughs> I, re- I, I edited the uh, heck out of that. So he basically said, um, he said, right, he said, come in next week, show me what you've written, let's write some songs and um, i wrote a song called run away and hide if i listen to it now it makes my toes curl and my bum clench i hate it because i sound like a child you know singing it and also the, the oh, style the of writing stuff. yeah it's so so early days in the same way if you watch your first
0: performance on tv you're like oh what oh. was i doing yeah I, um, I, I made sure mine disappeared yeah well, well mine the, 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 the digis were getting wiped and binned in a cupboard and in Television Centre, like one week before we all left, I found my audition one and I just slipped it back amongst the pile. I was nice. like, That's, I don't want to watch it. Put it with the orbits. Yeah, I was just like, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Goodbye. Well, mine, mine's on VHS, <laughs> so it's etched in that digital world uh, for um, for life. Uh, TDK it was as well. It was a decent VHS, that one. <clears throat> I think it was a 90, not a 120. Nobody here has got a clue what we're talking about. Um, made me happier. It did. <laughs> to hear. It made me very happy at the time. <laughs> So so yeah, basically I, I got I joined the band, uh, and then Nigel wanted our band to get a bit of a bit of fame, a bit of notoriety, a bit of we needed a platform. How are we going to become more famous? So he and another guy called Tony developed this production company called Straight TV, and they devised this show called Planet Pop, which was a, a music show on Channel Four. Yes. And yeah. um, Nigel said, right, one of you can present that, you become famous, and then we'll get your band on, and that's how we're going to get you a record deal. So we went into the room, Andy Peters was in charge of Channel 4 at the time, um, He, I, I got on really well with him, uh, I did this audition, again I've seen the audition since and it was horrific, but I was just being too cocky and arrogant and it was a, a, a typical teenager who thought he owned the world and it was it was actually quite embarrassing to, to even admit to it, let alone watch it.
0: I mean not to, not to sort of like excuse young behaviour and stuff, like I've not seen the audition, I don't know how cocky you went, but like... I mean to be launched that quickly of like yeah no you know you're, you're great and you're gonna do this and also you're presenting this TV show go like yeah. that's a big it was huge that's a lot so I can kind of see why like ego would, would
1: happen there I think I had no other choice because I didn't have any skill or experience I had no choice that, other than like, to make it yeah. look like I did and of course I didn't so <clears> I just looked like now looking back this many years later 20 oh my goodness 23 years later mm-hmm. um, I just looked like I I, I just look I look arrogant, I think. I, I think I look arrogant because I was just trying too hard. But I, I had nothing else to use. I had, I had nothing else other than just looking like I was confident. So did, I went from did that they?
0: Interview. Sorry, did they, did, did they just kind of assume that you knew what you were doing? Was there yeah. any guiding, guiding no. hand at all? And Q Barney. Literally.
1: Following week. Um, and the, the weirdest thing was, we went for pizza. These are, See, these are memories. These are experiences that I have. So yeah. I wasn't living them through a phone or social media. I actually have real experience, real life experience. And I remember them vividly. I was called by Nigel. He said, "Right, the audition went really well. Andy says it's a go. We're going to make the show, um, and your first shoot is going to be on Tuesday. Why don't you come meet me and Tony? We'll have some pizza. It was in Manchester, isn't it, and Square. Yeah. Uh, it's not there anymore. The pizza place. I've been back since. I've, I've gone back down my, um, you know, through my sort of history yeah. routes to try and locate and pinpoint things that, I've, that I remember. I went back to this pizza place to see if I could find it. And, you know, just in case there's a blue plaque there one day. Um, Beethoven's got one." It's so a pizza Be- place. No, Be- yeah, he's got an amazing. Thing. <laughs> Beethoven's Pizzas. Yeah. Um, so he's got. A, there's a blue plaque on his house that says Beethoven composed here. Mm. And in the hospital down the road, there's another one that says,
0: but he decomposed here. That's amazing. Did you like that? That um, is amazing. Is that is that factual, or have I just been hoodwinked? No, I've just beautiful made that way? up. Also, it says a lot about how the hospital system would have developed if he'd have decomposed in the hospital. It's not a place to get well. No. Anyway, don't so I'm, don't I'm, sat with, I'm
1: sat with Tony and Nigel. <laughs> and Nigel said right you've got the job and by the way you're going to Italy tomorrow what the hell so Jive Records a guy called Jamie who I was a big fan of um, who he represented the record company came to meet me sorted all the flights out back in the day when Carlson Waggelit was a company and um, <laughs> they yeah I went to Lake Garda to meet Steps and was there with their video One for Sorrow Uh, We were running through a field with a kite, and everyone dressed in white. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tonight will be a good night. And we sat there drinking coffee outside in this posh Italian place in the middle of a tiny little village. We were renting a house out that was in the middle of nowhere. Filmed that video, and that was my first, my very, very first day on telly. Blimey and I had no experience going behind the the scenes with Steps behind the scenes with Steps I was 17 (coughs) years old just out the cradle I had no idea what I was doing and I had to conduct an interview I had to work out what sequences were and so I I learned it's literally being pushed into the deep end Mm. and um, I made a lot of mistakes very very early and I think maybe that's why by the time I joined CBBC because Paul Smith who's the guy that got me my job as in Gordon the Gopher Mm. um, he had my the big GG he actually had that tape of me, me and Steps because he, uh, he had a VHS, there was a guy called Hugh Lawton who sent it to him and Hugh Lawton yeah. was working at Nickelodeon at the time and he sent him a VHS to say, hey, have a look at this guy, see what you think and I was barks fresh and Paul kept hold of that VHS for four years until he invited like me it. to, um, go. I've, I've asked him since, you know, why he waited so long or you know, what what was it that didn't work for him and he said, you were just young, you had no experience I was just waiting for you to get some experience and as soon as I knew you, you know, you'd know, earned your salts then I was going to get you in it was always a thing that he was going to do so, when I did Where It's At, which was the Teenage, uh, the digital channel, one of the first digital TV channels.
0: Yeah. With um, one of the weirdest it, promo images ever, if I recall it. was, a bit bizarre, was just yeah. like, here's all the different people hosting, and you're all just kind of. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd one. Scattered around I mean, with the no people, borders. It was lovely. It was, I mean, the
1: people that ran it, are, you know, they're, they're lovely people, and they had a great idea. It was just it just didn't get the back of it needed. um and none of them had used Publisher before. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, that graphic, that promo It's really odd. Old. It? We're talking about you know, 2000, 2001. It was early days. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, once I'd done that I had a real chance to do live telly and it was mm. live every day I did, a sh- we did two shows a day called In Town Tonight me and a girl called Lucy Blue and uh, it was a real chance to work, work on live muscles with not that many people watching which is great if you're going to make mistakes you don't want
0: people to see it yeah make, make them on a channel where you can get away with making them and it's not going to cause a ripple
1: exactly yeah. yeah so I was given the, the best chance to learn how mm. to do live telly because I was making mistakes every single day yeah. getting it wrong every day then you start to get it right you've got to get it wrong to get it right it's my mm-hmm. philosophy pretty much and it, it stayed that way ever since if you don't get it wrong how can you get it right you don't know what wrong is um so where it sat for me was a huge huge i mean very important cog in the machine it would appear and then by the time i got to CBC, and they said can you do live i was like yeah, I, actually i can yeah i think we should be okay and then i started to really really learn about myself i guess and and develop some sort of character and personality and then um, my take was just be yourself just be natural just be yeah. like an extended version of yourself I could never do the smiley face spiky hair thing no. you know we've got to be overly hey kids oh today show like no, oh it's yeah. just that would that would annoy <clears> me so, <throat> so I'm not gonna do that and here we are some 18 years later
0: spiking your hair and spiking my like hair, smiling, and spiking smiling at this hair. microphone <laughs> hey kids is that a coffee <laughs> hmm yes now get on this plane we're going to Italy but you're going to be on the wing
1: what's nice now though is that I've got the experience that I've got so I can use it to direct and I can be behind the camera and Mm. I I really like being I like being creative
0: well you're 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 a maker we've so so again for the reminder we're here in Lincoln at the minute we're doing pantomime as we're recording this we are 48 shows down about 20-ish just under 20 to go and wow that went quick didn't it and um, during this, we've not had a lot of wiggle room. We've not had a lot of free time. Uh, there's been various production problems. And everyone's like knuckled down to make sure the show works and X, Y, and Z. And it's a great show and we're having a lot of fun. But in those tiny gaps, you've made short films, you've made music promos for fellow cast members. Like, you've not stopped at any point making other stuff. And that's something I admire so much about you, which again is something. I didn't know about you until we started to work together properly last year when we first worked together on on uh, pantomime, and it's like that is for all for all the cynics for all the you know like oh God, like this stuff gets on my nerves, oh, I can't watch that anymore for all the things that do grind you within the industry there's barney that's you there's something about you that cannot stop making because it's what you really want to do, mm. so every time we have a good old moan. What was there, so, so ever bitch about the industry who the is john sim and all that <laughs> stuff who is john sim <laughs> like the, the, for all of that we do that spark has never gone out in you ever
1: it was actually ignited or reignited i think because once you've done something for so many years hmm. um, i never wanted to be that guy that was bitter
0: hmm.
1: about the industry and it's very easy to be bitter about the oh, industry yeah. because there are I... so many things that are out of your control and a lot of them don't make sense and so if you're passionate about something it's very hard not to be. Why did that happen? Or why did they take money out of that department when you've got this money being put into this department and nobody watches that? Or you know, why are they not getting camera guys in anymore? Why are the researchers filming it? They don't know what they're doing. And I, I got to a real place, Blue Peter. I was very unhappy on Blue Peter. I genuinely didn't like being there. It just became a bit weird and a bit yeah. odd. And so I really fell out of love with it. I didn't want to be a part of that industry anymore because it was just contrived and controlled and horrible. And it really felt like being at school. And I'm 40 years old now. I don't want to be treated like that, you know. So I found it really <clears throat> difficult towards the last couple of years of Blue Peter to be there. Luckily, one of the best friendships of my life came out of it. Me and Radzi are very close. Um, so, you know, there are some positives to be taken from it. Well, he's sat on your lap right now. He is, he's right here. I'm, I'm just, hang on, I'll just turn him on and operate him. I'm Raji. No, it doesn't quite work. I um, was more implying like a cat, like he was just stroking his hair. And I like. also said I'm going to turn him on and that could have gone so many different ways. Um, as in he's a mechanical robot with a switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, like, like R2.
0: Oh. Yeah, so anyway, I came out of, I came out of that place and it,
1: it, it basically it had defeated me, it had killed me off. I, I was tired of you know being in the industry where I was being lied to every day and... I just, I just, I, I really fell out of love with him. And then, um, a long story short, I had a friend called Alan, who was homeless. He lived on the Charing Cross Bridge, and um, every day on the way to work, I would take him a Boots meal deal. Uh, he was a lovely boy. He was very intelligent. He had a his, his dad was a doctor, uh, his mum was a solicitor. He came from a, a very wealthy background, and I, and I, it used to fascinate me how he ended up where he was. I couldn't quite work out how from this opulence, he, he's he's found himself on the streets. And he just, he he struggled with mental health quite severely. He had no belief in himself. He was, like I say, he was a very intelligent boy. And I loved our conversations. And part of me wanted to sort of help him, find out a bit more about him and get him back on his feet. And I had a bit of money then. So I was thinking maybe I can get him to to do something or Mm. I can get him to act in a a film that I'm doing or something like that. And it's one of those things that I procrastinated about for so long that I forgot how many years had gone by. And sadly, um, I went there one day and he he wasn't there. And he was always there. Mm and uh, I found out through a friend of mine Debbie who runs a homeless charity that um, he lost a battle with septicemia he actually had blood poison and one of his legs had become really badly infected yeah. and he passed away and it was one of those things that had killed me for years I, I wished I'd done more you know why didn't I do more why did I just take him a sandwich and a drink why didn't I get him into? I could have, I could have got him into a hotel I could have done so much more and I don't know why I didn't and it's, it's really killed me for years it still does I'm, it makes me sad now to talk about it And so I was sat at home and um, this had been a few few, um, months after I'd left work and I thought, I'm going to make him a film. I'm going to do like a little film, a little nod to Alan just to say I'm sorry. And um, it might make me feel a bit better. I might be able to pose a question at the same time, make other people think about what they do. So I made it at Christmas and I made it in the style of a John Lewis ad in a sort of like a big reveal at the end. And so um, I, I set up a YouTube account just for this one film. And uh, I sent it to Gabby Rosley, who's a friend of mine. I said to Steve Backshall, and I just wanted other people to have a look at it and see what they thought. Because yeah. at that point, I would never really made anything before, and this was shot on an iPhone and an old Sony that I had. You know, there was no production value to it at all. It actually cost us seventy pounds to make the whole thing, mm. and that was fuel and the cost of a roast dinner. Okay. And um, which you'll, and you'll see why if you, if yeah, you look at love the, the YouTube account. Yeah. But um, we put it on. <coughs> it was at Christmas, and it was just basically a, a question. You know, what can you do at Christmas? What is a present? Mm. Is a present going out and buying something for somebody that they've already got too much of? Is a present buying something for somebody that makes them feel like you care about them? Or is a present sacrificed on your own behalf? Is a, is a present you doing something nice for somebody else? Can that mean more than the biggest present you could buy them? And uh, as an idea, I took that as a theme and then made this film. And within about three or four weeks, we had like 15,000 hits on it. It was just insane. I couldn't believe... That many people have watched it. Gabby yeah. gave it a push, obviously on radio. Steve had given it a push on on his Twitter feed, and it was the first time my love of creating something, but also the reaction to it, something something sparked, something happened in me. Then I went, yeah. "Wow, actually, I quite, I really enjoy this feeling." Not just the fact that me and a couple of mates have got together and really threw this thing together. It's not really that well shot, or but it's not about that.
0: It's about no, it's, it's the, the the message of it. It's about definitely it. comes across. Yeah, yeah.
1: so um, it was received really well, and I thought I, I felt for the first time, wow, maybe I can do something like this. Maybe I can, maybe this is what I should be doing, making little films, mm-hmm. and so I've been doing that since. Um, yeah, I love it. You can't stop. I genuinely can't stop. And you myself. won't stop. So I, can't, I, I, kind can't. Of, I listen in conversations where people say, I just need someone to help me out. And I'm like, I, I will.
0: Yeah. I'll do it. Well, I mean, last year we we worked with a pair of dancers last year, uh, Shelly and Chris, who are, are a Circus and Dance Act called Duo, And they were talking about like setting up, they wanted to do a promo and you just straight in there volunteered. within a few days you cut a promo of them doing dancing on the silks, the hoop. It was amazing. It's this beautiful little piece. And again, it's just like, You saw it, you went, yeah, no, yeah, I know what I want to do with this. You shot it, you know, they, they trusted you because you were just like, yeah, I'm going to do this to do this one more time to get the shot, do that. And then boom, it's done. Um, I think I'll be honest, like that's, I think I I can see that being your future in this industry. I can see you making things for others uh, and, and putting your voice in, into your work that way now. Um, not to... Not, yeah. not, to prophesize, but like you, you, have a you have a director's eye. You, you know how it all works, and you know you, you can execute. A, you can execute something from initial idea to finished piece so easily because you're fueled by your passion to do it.
1: It was very hard for me to let go of who I was, but I don't mean that. It's not figurative. It's it's not it's not me saying me as a person, mm. but who I'd become professionally. I'm the guy that does Prank Patrol and Bear Behaving Badly and all those shows. And in reality, I did them 12 years ago. They were a long, long time ago. And I've been living off the back of almost the the, sort of the fame and the the power those shows had because people that were watching those shows, obviously the children that were watching them, that were eight and nine years old, they're now 25 Mm. and upwards. You know, there's there's been a massive um, sort of, I don't know, there's there's three generations almost of audience members. And now those kids Mm -hmm. that watched when I first started, they're now parents. And so. Prank Patrol has lasted a long, long time. Oh yeah, not in my life, but as part of you know that digital world, it's it's been around.
0: Yeah, uh, I, think, I, mean, I think that is a perception outside of, of the world of it all itself is that people sort of assume that like, oh yeah, no, you do that, yeah it's like mm, we did that, we did that a long time it's, it's been ago, a yeah. while now, but the, I liked the, it yeah
1: I, I, in, a, in a very I think in a negative way for me, I kind of <clears throat> I was still buzzing off the fact that people were stopping me in the street and talking about prank patrol, mm. and I didn 't want to lose that i didn't want to be I, I, I was I was such a nobody for so long mm. that when I became somebody. I didn't want to become nobody again. I didn't want to not be that guy. It, it felt sad that all of a sudden my life had gone so quickly that I've lost 20 years of my life somehow. And although I did some incredible things, I found it quite sad that I'm now back to where I was and I now don't have a job. I'm now, you know, looking to m- fly drones and make money commercially on on industrial sites. You know, I don't I don't do telly anymore. And I never asked myself the question whether I wanted to do telly again. It was just a given that of course I would do because. I'm that guy with that name who did that show of course I'm a TV presenter I've that's always been do. doing it I'm that's what I do presenter. now Yeah. and it wasn't until I asked myself the question and was honest with myself was do I really want to be a TV presenter and the answer is no I've, I, I think I've done it yeah I did it you've checked those boxes I really don't want to be in the industry anymore I don't want to be in that or, or that side of the industry I don't want yeah, to be in front of the yeah. camera and because, because for so long people are like oh why but you're so good at it and oh no but you did this oh no but you've got a BAFTA and you've people don't see the 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 effect it has on your life—they just see this thing, this entity that's a, that's a. I mean, it's non-existent. You and I both know that yeah. it's just a title that you have, really. But I believed it. I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of thought that's who I am. I'm mm-hmm. that guy. I did those shows. I am a presenter. And and it was only recently I've asked myself and gone, do I really want to be a telepresenter presenter? And the I, did, I I genuinely do not. Mm-hmm. I don't like the industry. I don't like the people in it. I don't like the lies. I don't like the conceit. I don't right. like. All, everything that goes into making television is fake all of it is completely fake and you end up not having real memories of it or real experiences of it because you're pretending yeah. yourself so it's a, it, it became a bizarre thing this world that you were part of that you didn't believe in but you were given it some kind of illusion because it paid you wages <laughs> effectively that's all it was it paid me a bit of money by the time I left Blue Peter I was getting paid a third of the money I was getting paid when I first started
0: we grew up, I think, I mean, uh, I, your influences are, are many and you're always introducing me to new stuff uh, and we cross over in quite a few ways. There's a lot of stuff that I I grew up watching. I mean, we've talked about, you know, stuff like and Wise and Tommy Cooper and, you know, just the other day you were, you were showing me the, the Richard Pryor clip Richard oh. Pryor with, with And The Pips. You must watch this. Anyone <laughs> listening right now, just Google Richard Pryor and The Pips.
1: He basically... <laughs> He had an idea one night and that was because back in the day, uh, lead vocalists used to have a support act with them. And it was normally three singers or the Temptations would have, you know, all four of them doing a dance. But there was normally a lead singer and then you'd have the group. So it was Gladys, Gladys Knight and the Pips. It was Jerry and the Pacemakers. It was Freddie and the Dreamers. And so Richard Pryor was thinking, what would happen one night if Gladys Knight didn't turn up and it was just the Pips, just the backing vocals? How would that sound? He had the power and the foresight and the brilliance to actually write a sketch. And put it on his, his prime time TV show. He had a moment on his show where there was no singer. They were just playing the backing vocals. And it's the best thing you've ever seen.
0: It's genius. But Absolute that, genius. But that's the thing. It, it, it's it's that we grew up with an age of people having visions and ideas. Mm. And then executing them or taking the risk. And I think uh, we went into the industry with a romanticised view of it. Like, I mean you go to a television centre for the first time. You look at that building and you go, oh my god. I'm here. The
1: people that have been in this building. Yeah.
0: Oh God. Like, like just, just even rocking up, like you you take one peek at it and you're thinking of the Morecambe and Wise. You think of that bit where, um, God, who's the lead on a goose chase around the building? It's Elton John, isn't it? Where he just walks on the whole thing and then he drops out of a door and and plummets into the river. Like, what is that? Like you, 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 the hallway is just, just walking into the stage door slash reception. You're like, Oh my God, I've seen this in a million programs. Mm. So you, you have that, that rose tinted view of it all. And then you get there, and it's not really a creative house anymore in the same way. And I think that's where, as we've said, like, YouTubers and, and sites like it have kind of diluted, um, uh, the, you know, the, what would have been the concentrated, you know, uh, here's where the money goes, here's where people get supported to make stuff. It's been diluted a bit because everyone can do it, which is both inspiring and, you know, less so in some some worlds. But I think that's the answer. I think creator-owned content and voices now has to go independent and make its own stuff. I one hundred percent agree. I, I never mean, thought I would say that. Yeah.
1: But, but I mean look, I look at look
0: at your short film. Like you just that that initial one that re-sparked everything. You're like, I I need to tell this story, I need to I need to make a point for my friend. But
1: even now, even like and you even did if, it, even if, even a couple it of years
0: later it doesn't feel like I <clears throat> like if I set up a YouTube channel, like if I really committed to yeah. it and
1: uploaded it every week. I don't believe that I would get an audience. I don't know whether people would still watch what I do. It's um, it's I'm actually yeah. this side of it now. I had confidence in Spades for years mm-hmm. because everything was doing really well. Prank Patrol was the number one rated kids show. Bear Baby Badly was number two. You know, it, it was you couldn't do any wrong. Yeah, and the confidence comes with that. But now I'm like, it's weird. I've, I've I'm a different side of it. I'm like, God, I don't want to put this out I'm just in case someone doesn't like it, or you know, will I get? I mean, there's only like a thousand people on there, but that was from that one video. Mm-hmm. But I've not gone back to it since. I've done. Put anything on, just in case people don't like it. I knew they would like that message because it was a Christmas thing, and because I put, you know, we put a lot of thought into it. But since then, I've been like, should I? Should, would, would, would I? Would, would anything come from it? I, should
0: I. I mean, I'm not not to speak for everyone, but I think everyone listening to this right now would absolutely want to just see, like, yeah, no, go on. What have, what have you got? Give it to me. Let's see what you have. And and YouTube again is very algorithmic. You, there are patterns to gaining success on the site. But then, if you're playing that game, you're playing the same game as the people yeah. who who are just making stuff to impress the boss and not because they have a love for it. Yeah, like you just need to put it out there and have a collection. Um mean, some of the best YouTube channels, and I think I think you've introduced me to at least one of these. And if not, it's come up before. Um, there's like so many that are just short film channels. Mm. Just yeah, just McKinnon's good films. for that.
1: Yeah, I started watching Peter McKinnon when he didn't have that many followers back in the day. I remember saying, "This guy's got something." Mm. He was he did it, one of the first videos that he did was about camera hacks and it was about five ways I think it was five ways that you can use your camera differently so and the, the thumbnail was very very it was actually clickbait the thumbnail was very very clever <laughs> it's him with a knife cutting into the lens of his camera it's really really great <laughs> I liked it immediately yeah. uh, and he, I think one of the uh, tr- um, tips that he had was holding your camera by the strap but pushing your camera forward so the strap is over your head and around the back of your neck push your camera forward so the strap goes tight mm. and you've actually got a version of a steady cam doing that you can make the camera yeah. really steady it's just little, little hacks like that and, um, and he's now, I mean, he's got, I think he's got 3 million subscribers now or something. He's, um, but he's a very talented, creative uh, photographer first, I think. Mm. And um, he was a skateboarder, he's a magician, he's got loads of things that he brings to the table. And um, I genuinely enjoy watching his stuff, you know. And it's really yeah. weird because I've got way more experience than him, you know, when it comes to making films. But yeah. I'm watching him going, oh my God, that's good, that. It's, 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 it's almost like he's developed himself. He's become, um, he's reached his full potential, mm. but he's done it himself. Yeah. he's done it by working out the creases himself I'm sure if he watches his first videos back now on YouTube he'd cringe at them but he's developed his own style by just working it out himself you don't need those people around you you don't need producers and
0: directors no, no. And
1: you just need a decent
0: idea and a bit of time and that's the, the, core, the core thing is just it, it, you know what your central message is or you know what reaction you want to get and that's your focus mm. that's the important thing um, I I do hope it's not the end of of you on camera in a way because you are an exceptionally gifted performer. Like I'm moving presentationy stuff aside to one minute, like I've I've got to tread the boards with you two Christmases now. And obviously it's panto, it's light entertainment, it's fluff. But your comedic instincts are freaking brilliant. So it would be sad to not see you on camera again in some way. Whether it's you know if you don't want to present, fine, sure. But like I know you are, you are a child at the uh, who worships at the altar of Attenborough. Oh yes. So I can see documentaries maybe being something you'd want to give a stab at.
1: And now the blue whale <laughs> swims to the depths of the ocean, <laughs> never to be seen again. I love the man. Um, <laughs> he's one of my favourite people on earth. He smells like biscuits. Does he? He does. Yeah. I, I'm I had happy the pleasure of working with him. So we did the uh, the evolution <laughs> proms at the Albert Hall. And I actually put this on my Instagram account. Um, just to show people the adulation this man has so it's the Albert Hall five and a half thousand seats packed to the rafters even the, the bit in the back all the boxes are full apart from one which is his Ooh. Um, it was a gift from the BBC when he left Yeah, he has the ticket to any Albert Hall concert whenever he wants in his own box yeah. what, a lovely, what a lovely gift um, I got a um, well a hamper with cheese in it um, I got a mug did you? <laughs> I actually got a hamper I put the cheese in myself Um <laughs> So yeah, uh, he he came out of the stage. You've got kids in the audience from three years old, eight years old, 12 years old. Every demographic is in that building. And it's really hard to explain the noise that he makes, but also the effect that it has. Mm. He walked onto that stage. If if you go to my Instagram page, you'll see it on there. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sir David Attenborough. And the place just goes nuts, but keeps going nuts. You can just hear this clapping. And it's like, now I'm not one to jump in at that point because... I, you know, some people would do a James Corden and cut Adele off mid-speech. Yeah, not good. Not a good idea. And she obviously vented how she felt. But um, you can't do that to Sir David Attenborough. I would have let him mm-hmm. clap for twenty minutes if he wanted to. I don't give a toss about who's filming and how long we've got. This is David Attenborough. This is a life moment, and these people want to clap to show him how much they love him. Honestly, mate, it was like three minutes of clapping. It was unbelievable. So, and of course, he actually had to shush them. Eventually, sort of putting his hands down. And then what <laughs> you hear is nothing. Silence because every single person in that auditorium, it's the most American audience I've ever seen. Everyone leaning forwards, eyes open, mouth open, what is he gonna say? What are the first words to come out of that man's mouth? So Gemma asks the first question, and it's a brilliant question. Mm-hmm. Out of all your years, all of your years, all of your studies, all of your documentaries, mm-hmm. everything you've ever done, what's the most unusual creature you've ever seen? I thought, oh brilliant, what a great question, Jen. And of course, whoosh, Silence. What's he going to say? And David Attenborough has this trick. And it's kind of, a. I think it's like, I think it's his his form of hypnotism. He uses this one word, this one sound bite. And when he says it, you're in. You're hooked. You want to hear the rest of the story. And all it is, is the word well. Yes. But he (laughs) looks up to the sky. He puts one hand over the other. So his right hand goes over his left palm. He looks up and he goes, well... And that's it. You're in, right? What's he going to say? Go on, Sir David. Um, it's one of my favourite moments in life. It really is to be stood next to the great man with all of his experience. I mean, this guy put snooker on telly. He was the commissioner for BBC Two for you know so many years. Yeah. He's done so many incredible things. Never mind tickling a monkey's bum bum. He put snooker on telly. This man's a legend. Uh, and it was black and white at the time. Well, how will they know what colour is? Well, it's not the white one, is it? He's a genius. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's there's many life moments like that that I'm a huge fan of. I'd love to work with David Attenborough or something. I, mean, I, I did a documentary with him called Life. He did Life. We did Inside Life. So mm-hmm. our kids on our show helped them find <coughs> the animals for the main show. It was a nice little insight. And um, I followed him in the voiceover booth. Now, David Attenborough when he does oh, a vocal. Yeah. This is the bit I was telling you about. This is the bit with the blue whale. Yeah. So there's a guy called Mark who's the producer. And we have, if you're a voiceover student, watch Toast. Yes, <laughs> it'll give you more. Honestly, it's more accurate than people think. It, 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 it is. Um, it is depressingly accurate. It's so in places. Accurate. It's, it's Toast, a little Toast little was bit. a documentary. Um, so <laughs> Stephen, there's a producer with a. Yes, I can hear you. Clem Pandango There's a there's a there's a guy with a button, and when he presses <laughs> the button in the gallery, in your little booth, there's a green light that goes on. It used to be a red light, now it's a green light, and it basically green light for go. When he presses the button, that's when you talk. But there are two ways to know when you talk on a on a VT. You have a time code, what's called a Bitsy or a BTC, burnt in time code. It tells you what, what part of the film you're at. So if someone has gone through the film and they've worked out what voiceover comes over what clip, they will tell you what the time code is for when you start to talk and when you need to finish talking because they've already faded the sound in and out of the clip. It's a very um, technical thing to do. And if you get it right, it's a it's a thing of joy. David Attenborough, when he first started used to record on tape so there was no edit you couldn't stop and start again you couldn't just delete a clip and then re-record it if he got something wrong they had to go back and start again Mm. he's recording one and a half hour documentaries from start to finish with no stops with no mistakes and so I actually asked him how did you do that voiceover like that and he said because I learnt on tape you couldn't make mistakes if you made mistakes you had to go back and start again so you just learnt not to which is one of my favourite things I've ever been told by anybody (laughs) So I'm following him in this booth and Mark is pressing the button because David's got a line of VO and I'm, I've got the script that he's actually reading from. So I know what he's about to say. He didn't say anything that was on this script because he's done it <laughs> that many times. He's done exactly what he's doing. So Mark's pressing the button. Going, okay, David. And cue David. Uh, cue David. Sir so David. Cue he's pressing the button like a maniac. Green light flashing. David's like in a disco in a small little booth. And he's just sat there with his vanilla... He had a vanilla slice and a cup of tea in his right hand. And he's just watching while this green light is going nuts next to him. Clearly he can see it because the whole room's lighting up. And he's seen this clip so many times. It's actually a very famous clip. And it's basically a blue whale. And it's orchestrated by the BBC Concert Orchestra. So all you can hear is this... Dun,
0: dun, 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 dun.
1: and the blue whale's tail starts to move effortlessly slowly through the water again, David's not saying anything Mark's pressing the button David, Sir David, when you're ready Sir David, nothing just letting the orchestra play this whale swims to the surface and you're about to see a breach you're about to see the whale breach the water and as it dives back down again of course this massive tail follows it comes up out of the water and David's waiting for the right moment so he's seen this clip a thousand times okay David, cue Sir David okay David, when you're ready cue da da, 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 da. Dun, dun. and as the tail comes out of the water the orchestra stops David puts his slice down places his tea down really gently on the table and he goes and now just watch Bosh! the tail hits the water the orchestra goes crazy <laughs> dun, 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 dun. everybody in the room even now telling you this story goosebumps everywhere I've never had goosebumps on my bum cheeks before but oh my god we're all standing up, oh my God, that was incredible. That was like, that was up there with childbirth for me. How did you do that, Sir David? He's just, he's a different beast. He's a completely different animal. And so, to, to, you know, th- these moments I could talk about for hours because I experienced them. I was there and I was in the moment. Um, so there are, there are lots of things that I've experienced tell you that properly, properly excite me and I want to recreate them again. And it's little moments like that with legends like that because some people change in the industry. Some people start to believe their own hype and they change as people. They become quite, well, horrible people. There's a lot of people that I've known in the early days. Some presenters now that are working on TV, they're really unpleasant people. I don't know how they got to that stage. I guess because they believe what they've been told by so many yes men around them. Sir David has been there since 1902 and the man has not changed one bit. He is a lovely, joyous, excitable, excited, giving loving, nurturing, just he wants people to feel what he feels. He's just a natural born entertainer. He's, a, he's the granddad we all want. He's the dad we all want. He's the guy we want in the family at the Christmas table. There's no reason you should change in this industry and it's people like him that give me the faith and restore that that, that urgency and that feeling of wanting to create something with people who are like minded. And he smells of biscuits. And he smells of biscuits. Oh, oh, oh doesn't he just? It's because he's, per- he's got one in his mouth every two minutes. I mean, <laughs> what is he now? He's 88. No, he's 90 you now. Yeah, he's, right? he's, he's an octogenarian. He's, he's, he's a 90-year-old man, so of course and, he smells of biscuits. long may he reign. Oh, it's going to be a, such a sad day. Such a sad day. I, I want him to be queen level of age. Yeah. I want him to just <laughs> and keep, then some, keep going. Just keep on going. Yeah. So um. it's people like him and experiences like that. That give me that fuel, that fire. Um, so hopefully, I can, uh, I can, I can take that with me and um, yeah, start to create some nice stuff.
0: Have a picture of him in your wallet. It's all you need. I do. Just look at him every 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 few hours. Ah, like, see, there you David. Are. <laughs> Good day, sir. Well, you know, I've written a, an episode of um of a pilot, and he features quite heavily in it. He does indeed. Yes, he does. he's on um, the wall. And again, again, that's uh, without giving too much away, because hopefully coming to a screen at you at some point, uh, be it a small screen or a very large screen at a BFI event, where we'll trail it and do Q&As and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm just setting a bar for us now, so we have to meet it, Fine. unfortunately. Uh, I'll be in look... the bar, ironically. <laughs> we've got to work harder. But like, that, again, is about celebrating legacy and a certain warmth and, and a and a passion from from sort of people and, and eras that have gone and and not got that love of support right now because it is like you say it's wonderful when you do meet people who you go oh my god you get it you get this uh so slightly slightly obvious question before we segue into our lovely patron questions uh because you and i do have to go to the theater very soon um who are the and this is such of another question but go for it who are the nicest celebs you've got to work with over the years be it at junket interviews, be it doing interviews with the monthly Peter, for example, be it guesting in shows. Who are the ones who stand out as, oh, I'm glad they turned out not to be a tool? Hugh Jackman. That makes me so happy. <laughs> he is the loveliest guy on earth. He couldn't
1: do enough for us. Uh, I interviewed him after he played Blackbeard in the Peter Pan movie. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, Pan. Yeah, Pan. The one with uh, Nirvana in it for some reason. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, he was just, he couldn't do enough. He had plenty of junkets to go to. But he was brilliant. Steve Carell, Despicable Me—that was another junkie that oh, I yeah. did. We had a, we had a great time together because we had a technical issue with the camera, and he clocked it straight away. He's a very intelligent boy. He knew we were having issues, and he knew that I was filling for time, and so we started doing comedy voices together, as you and I both do frequently. We just we're, we're a big fan of doing comedy voices. I don't know what you're talking about? Um, yes. <laughs> so Steve Carell, another genius. Um, should I talk about Jody? Yeah. Where to go?
0: When did you interview it Blue Peter, I suppose? Yeah. To start of her tenure? Oh. Yeah, back in the day.
1: I've interviewed her a few times. She did a movie called Santa, uh, Get Santa.
0: Oh, right. And, okay, um, yeah.
1: I gave her a badge then. And um, she's,
0: she's just... a. Oh, she was in that. I would like to marry her. She's wonderful. But she's got that Yorkshire warmth. She has, exactly, yes. Which I felt. Um, <laughs> That's the thing. See, when you say Jodie Whittaker, the first thing that comes to my head isn't Broadchurch or Doctor Who. Immediately, the first thing that comes to my head is Attack the Block. Yeah, because that was the first thing I saw her and was like, wow, she's awesome. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's, she's really a cool. beautiful human being. Uh, the Queen. Yeah, that, I was going to say actually, what what is what 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 is it like? Because it was, was it a one on one? It was uh, well, I've met well, it a well. I say one on one. There's always about eighty Secret Service people right to the side, well, vetting every breath you take. I've, I've been in her presence three <laughs> times in total
1: the first time I was leading her around her own house which was weird, Buckingham House (laughs) uh, around the bow room at the back we had uh, one of our Blue Peter um, audience members had designed the emblem for the Diamond Jubilee yes uh, won that 96,000 entries back in the day when people used to watch Blue Peter it was amazing 96,000 entries Um, and this one kid Amanda she won the competition and then we went to Buckingham Palace which, as we all know, is not a palace. It's a house. Buckingham House. Ah, indeed. Um, this um, was the
0: emblem that she stood on when she came to visit uh, right, Media yes. City, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah like it was like on a... buses
1: and teacups and tea towels and underpants and everything. I'm not sure about <laughs> underpants. I might have added that for comedy value. Um, I've actually got a pair of underpants. On the outside, there's a label that says May Contain Nuts. It's one of my favourite things that I've ever been bought by anybody. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, the Queen was amazing. She's very funny. Um, or they all are. I think there's... Um, there's a misunderstanding with her don't forget she's she, you know she'd have been as part of the public she'd have retired 20 years ago but mm. the woman still works she still does royal duties and she's um, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a royalist or a monarchist but I I i like her mm. um, I like um, big butts and I cannot lie uh, I met the boys they're nice I've met Princess Anne she was lovely um, did I just say big butts in the same sentence as the Queen I did that didn't I yes
0: but this is out of the broom cupboard so feel free to fine good you can make match yeah anyway um <laughs> Yeah, she's a pull lovely. quote for the episode. I like the Queen and I like Big butts But I think my favourite
1: person of all time, as in like my ultimate favourite, is Vision out of the Fantastic Four. Oh god. I think I think he's one of my favourite because Fantastic Four is about these five superheroes. Oh jeez. Um oh and god, don't Vision do this. is don't the best this. one oh out of all of them. are you gonna let them know what I'm doing here and why like, so, so it upsets you so much? So, it's probably upsetting you as well actually isn't it I'm really sorry this is a game that I play with Chris
0: he taunts me, me. I mean where we're sat right now in my digs he can see there's a plethora of, of nerdy material in front of me that I've been indulging with in the very brief spare moments we've I'm surprised had. to see a bible yeah, uh, well <laughs> no that's Christopher Eccleston's Um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love um, the bones of you mate I really do <laughs> that's the name of the book but Barney keeps bringing up Vision for some reason the Marvel character I don't even
1: know why, I don't, I don't even know when it started I just know that when I so I, I know what Chris is into and I'd like to talk to him about them but get things deliberately wrong because his brain can't handle it which is why I said the Fantastic Four is about five <laughs> superheroes. That's enough for him to start melting down. And Vision's one of my favourite characters. I know damn well Vision's not in that movie. But it's, it's just something that I enjoy doing.
0: We came back from Star Wars the other day and you were like, how was it? Did the Vision win? I was like, for God's sake. Yeah. It's not right. He it's, should it, win. You're the walking version of that meme that did the rounds a few years ago. It's a picture of Patrick Stewart. And it's a pull quote and it says, use the force, Harry.
1: <laughs> and, it's, and it's
0: attributed to Gandalf nice and it's just nice. like it was, it's, I looked at the first time I was like oh that's funny and then every time I get looking at it this little voice in my head's going it's wrong though and I'm like I know it's wrong that's the point that's the point so, I know it's wrong and then you've brought that experience into my mind daily I forgot about Gandalf he's amazing he's in
1: Lord of the Flies isn't he he's one of those characters <laughs> that always smiles And uh, no it doesn't Vision beat him in that I think Vision fights him in that. I
0: think I think Vision fights him in that and then, uh, and then they all get to, to go home because they've won the Hunger Games yeah yeah, God, that took a lot to do. Uh <laughs> took all my willpower. Well, speaking of willpower, this lot had the willpower uh, and also the, the support of the show. Thank you very much to go to the Discord and send in some questions. Uh, it was quite a short deadline for this one because we only sort of nailed the recording time uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. So, uh, as a result, I'm going to fire these out quickly. Uh, and a lot of them are uh, very BP-based. Oh, great. So, brace your eyes, good sir. On it? Uh Tubani says Ifa, who was your favourite BP co-presenter? Oh fight, 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 fight. Well if I can have a boy and a girl,
1: I think that's fair. Radzi is my favourite co-presenter because we just we both understood what was required. Um we both had a great time on set. Um we were mates as well as spirit animals. We are spirit animals. He's on, sure. he's
0: on your lap right now. He's stroking his hair. Yeah, let me turn. He's beautiful. Hair. Uh,
1: he's a lovely man. Um, he's a lovely man. I'm, I'm one of Radzi's biggest fans, <laughs> and, and it was very, very clear, very quickly that we were going to get on and um, yeah I think me and Rans always had fun on location and, and Helen Skelton as well she's, um, she's inspirational it doesn't matter what that girl does you, you can't help but come away feeling like you can be a better person she's an incredible person she's, um, she's strong willed she's, she's strong physically she's, mm. she'll achieve anything I mean every challenge she did on Blue Peter she, <laughs> she nailed it
0: how did your catchphrase I want one come about I'm assuming it's pretty obvious but whatever says Aoife Aoife I'm going to ask Chris that question because Chris should know because it came from a very famous movie, and it came from one of my favourite characters. And it's not Vision. <laughs> and he is your favourite characters. We've asked the I want one. Ooh, narrow it down. That's a um, big net. So it comes from a Marvel series of films. Does it really? It really does. I swear, it actually does. Where in my Life. It actually does. Oh God. Uh, recent or two um, thousands? Probably. Okay.
1: So let me let me um, <laughs> let me give you a stark reminder.
0: Oh. Okay. Uh, vision See what I did there Good Turned it around So when Robert Downey Jr
1: <laughs> Or Tony Stark Meets Scarlett Johansson For the first time when In she, Iron Man 2 and when Yeah she does her thing In the ring with the big guy Big old she John puts fans. her legs Around his head And throws him to the floor Robert Downey Jr Or Tony Stark Turns to Gwyneth Paltrow Or Paris Pepperpot And <laughs> says Parisian Vision face And says I want one
0: Yeah Oh my god So it's an Iron Man 2 quote That's where it comes from that is, I mean, I'm, I worry about my levels of obsession, but that is a very specific piece of, of pop culture trivia.
1: I'm a huge Danny Jr. fan, and um, I just thought it was genius. <coughs> just to refer to Scarlett Johansson as one. I want one. I it was brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, it became a thing. Even Radzi didn't know what that was. I only told him recently where it came from. Everyone <laughs> thought I made it up, but I did not. It
0: was um, it was from that movie. So what you're saying is, Blue Peter is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, confirmed. Exactly. There you go, everybody. and Now insert certain... it. His vision. Ah. Now insert into the Pixar theory. The little penguin says uh, a couple of little questions. Barney, do you miss Nev?
1: No, I still see him. I was talking to him last night. So now I miss working with him. I miss uh, doing the show. I was going to say,
0: him. let's elaborate on that one. Are you referring to the tiny purple prop, and you're having creepy conversations with him, or are you referring he to is the, the lovely, not a tiny roll?
1: purple prop? He's a small blue bear, <laughs> a small autistic blue bear who needs love and care. And, and, vision. and his personal trainer, <laughs> ah, right. in inverted commas, is a guy called Ross. You're not I beholden to
0: any contracts and you're still saying personal trainer.
1: I still believe he's a real bear. I loved that little character. Um, so Ross Mullen's a lovely man. Nev the Bear is Ross Mullen, and um, he, well, he went on to be the White Walker in Game of Thrones, didn't he? So you couldn't get much more of a, of a paradox there. So you've got a tiny little blue bear that's beautiful and cuddly and gorgeous and a terrifying guy on a horse with white crispy skin white crispy blue skin fingers and, and a Canadian accent he, um, he played both of those characters superbly but um, I speak to Ross all the time
0: lovely he, man he's a lovely man um, Also, I also
1: spoke to Mr Prank last night by the way
0: yeah, yes you did that, that that surprised me you got a little, a little video message from one of our cast members you did yeah um, and, and I just I came to the dressing room heard you put, hearing the tale of it and I was like wait a minute
1: is he doing that in character? I like little surprises like that, <laughs> nice, because Zoe's a huge fan of Mr. Frank and her brother more importantly is as well. He used to watch Bear Behaving Badly. So I texted him last night and said so we'd just do a little video for Zoe and Jake, and, and he did. <laughs>
0: Our not. maid Marion would like to get a nostalgia rush, please. Uh, also, how was it hosting Bamzuki and Swap Shop? That's specific.
1: Uh Bamzuki was great fun because it was um it was quite a technically advanced show for the So Jake Humphrey did the original mm-hmm. series. And they were pretty much pretending that the Zooks were on the table. Yeah, they, they were staring at
0: a blank table yeah, they and couldn't and cheering. See
1: them. But when we did it, we had two projection screens um, and we had three high-res projectors on the roof that were pointing down to the floor. So we could actually see the battles taking place real time. Um, the only issue with that was it was early days for the tech and everything kept overheating and breaking. And so mm. it took us hours to film an episode. And you're <laughs> filming an episode with 7 to 12-year-olds as well who get mm. bored and the sugar runs out, and they get yeah. really kind of grumpy. So and very, there's only a certain amount of hours they're allowed to be on yeah, set. Yeah, so and... we, we, had, we had a real issue filming that series. It was very difficult. But uh, but Gemma, who was my co-presenter, was actually my girlfriend at the time as well, so it was um, it was quite nice to work with Gemma on so much stuff, because we got to see a lot of each other, and um, we got on.
0: A swap Shop as well, Swap Shop was, swap shop was
1: great fun, that was me and Basil Brush, that was um, st- uh, we did a lot of sketch shows on Swap Shop and they were still to this day some of my favourite things I've ever done, like Snap to Nose and we used to play a pair of vampires hanging upside down doing jokes about being bats and just it was just nonsense, it was just proper Saturday morning fun, back when kids tell you actually had a proper Saturday morning show, they don't do it anymore, now they want YouTubers.
0: Yeah that seems to be a thing. Um, Not for long. Or or they or they temporarily pilot pilot a Saturday morning slot and then give it no budget and then cancel it for uh, yeah it's
1: bizarre I mean to clarify I have nothing <laughs> I have
0: nothing against YouTubers at all
1: no I just don't think that what they're doing with YouTubers is is necessarily what kids telly is all about you know I think there should there should definitely be a definition between the two you should be able to go to YouTube and watch YouTube and mm-hmm. get what you need from them and CBBC should be its own thing rather than trying to you know, piggyback off the back of YouTubers. Oh, that's my phone. Give me one second. Oh, first, I'll for them with some dancing. Whenever you're doing an interview, rule one, turn your phone off. <laughs> um, Hello? Oh, who's this? Oh, it's Sir David. I'll put you on speakerphone. Hang on.
0: Well, oh, we're all listening to David. No, I'm kidding. I've turned it off. <laughs> um... Right, as you were. Oh, that's the one, yes. Um, yeah, no, it, it's an odd one because it, I think it feels very disingenuous to the YouTubers as well because the, uh, the main reason why they tend to get hired, and obviously I can't speak to exactly what's happening at the moment, but from my experience when I was there on YouTubers were hired for jobs, it tended to be a thing of, well, they've got all these millions of fans, they'll come and watch the thing. It's like, you well, can't just they, throw someone in a deep end and assume they'll bring a
1: fan base They also think them. they're going to bring the fan base with them. That's, that's the only reason they're doing it is because they think that YouTubers who've got a massive following... That following will then go and watch CBBC. That's the only nope. reason they're doing it, which That's, I think is disgraceful. It's not what happens,
0: though. It isn't what happens to It's Not at all. what happens. No, because people can watch them on YouTube. <clears throat> yeah, they, they can watch them, watch them where they normally watch them, sat on the toilet or in bed. Also, Little Penguin has brought up this. Um, do you recall the time that you allegedly used the F word on Swap Shop? I do, yeah. Did you use the F word on Swap Shop? Uh, no, I didn't. And of course I didn't.
1: I, I wouldn't have been employed for a further 12 years. But, um. No, I, I was. I, I, you said fudge, right? That was the F uh, word. I was alluding to. The word to. is actually floor. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, it, it was to do with we had one um, of those big things called the you hit with sticks um, uh, Mexican party favor. What uh, piñatas. So we had a big piñata in the ceiling that had been made by uh, Doctor Death. We used to call him Doctor John. Mm-hmm. Uh, we called him that because he used to keep knocking kids over on the when he used to come in with his. his <laughs> uh, that's a lot. That's another story. I can't even leave it there because it's too vague. But um, there's a story there. But um, Doctor John was the uh, the arts uh, the arts department guy. And you made this pinata out of brick. It was just impossible to break it, and I couldn't break it. So it, I pulled it down, and as I've as I've bent over and brought it onto the floor, I've basically gone into northern and gone. <laughs> can, we, can we get it on the floor? And some guy who was watching with his kid, who wasn't even demographic age, wrote to the sun and said, Barney Howard just said the F word on Swap Shop. It was that simple. Um, so yeah. of course I was on the golf course at the time with my dad, and I had a phone call from the producer. who was really panicking. We've had a we've had a call from the journalist. They think you've sworn on telly. And I said, well you were in the gallery, hmm. listening, did you hear me swear on that? Yeah. So, well, I, I, I must have missed it. I, it, but we can't find it, we can't find it in the clip. I said, like, well, you won't find it, I didn't, I, of course I didn't swear, I've been doing this a long time. Everyone was goes out, into panic mode instantly. It was instantly. a bit bizarre, yeah, yeah. I was like, why, why would I say it? It, was, it wasn't even in context. Hmm. You know, why would I say that word? It was It was just a bit weird. Um, but they caused a real fuss, they took me off air and you know, they made it really difficult for me to get back into the studio which was just a farce but um, I did not say that word and you can see the clip for yourself it's on YouTube that's probably. the
0: thing it's playback
1: isn't it what's so quite it... fascinating is that people say oh he clearly swears But um... <laughs> well it
0: was like recently the last couple of years that it's become a bit of a, a meme on YouTube the, the clip of Chris Jarvis in a song singing oh, you imagine a... you're a fluttering a fluttering kite. kite yeah and it's just become a massive thing people go going like he's definitely swearing he's definitely swearing it's like but he's not though. You can see the visuals in the song. You can hear his accent. You can hear his delivery. I think people
1: are just bored. I think they've got nothing else to do, and it's. It, it, I find it quite bizarre. And and it's you know, it's it's like it's the worst thing on earth. Should <laughs> should you swear? Fern Cotton swore live on telly on Smile, hmm. and it was really simple. It was. Uh, oh, do you know what? I'm really sorry. I slipped up. Then I'm an adult, and I say I say words like that sometimes, but. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, and it was dealt with, and it was it was moved on, moved on. Yeah. Just, you know, you've always got a responsibility, especially yeah. if you know young people are listening. Of course, you do,
0: which but, is why yeah. we're going to say rude words now. No, we're not. But uh, Outro Obsessive also asked, "Do you miss Nev?" You could give a different answer. Um, I do miss working with Nev. Yeah, I miss
1: <laughs> I miss the show that we did together. It was great fun. It's actually the most fun I've ever had working in telly for a very very short period of time. It's about two and a half years. Uh, working in a, in a studio in Merton next to the set where they filmed this old TV series called The Bill, which was about the police so we had to stop our <laughs> takes halfway through the day because there was police sirens going on but um, I haven't laughed as much and that's largely down to Mr Prank
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, he would he I, he would rehearse one way and he would do it a completely different way in the live and I, I couldn't handle it in fact, <laughs> towards the end of the series you'll notice I'm not in it as much, that's because they wrote me and him out of scenes together 'Cause we just couldn't film them because we were too busy laughing. And I thought what a great idea to not get work because you, you can't stop laughing. I was like, that's genius. <laughs> so um yeah, I I missed I missed that time and I miss working with Nev, yeah, but I still speak to Nev every other
0: day. A Town Two Thousand One Dev, uh real name, says, What's your favourite episode of Bear Behaving Badly?
1: The ice cream corral. It's that easy. Yeah, oh god, even got, I can picture that one. Because we got to throw ice cream at each other for hours. And it wasn't actually ice cream, it was mashed potato because ice cream melts under the lights. So mm. when we were throwing mash at each other, we stunk. Mashed potato smells, I think because mm. they put cream in it or something. Oh um, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> that was my favourite thing we've ever done, because it was all of us, we were all in the episode, and um, yeah, we just
0: basically covered the studio in mashed potato. It was amazing. I felt like it was a spiritual sequel to the goodies episode, uh, fight at the OK Tea Rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing the title come up for it once, I was just like, that's got to be a reference. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm thinking, but it's got to be. Uh, Chris Wood says, Barnabas... As an old person, I'm obsessed with nostalgia. Who were your favourite childhood BP presenters? And Chris Woods were Groom, Duncan, uh, and Janet. Lovely Ellis.
1: The Ellis. <laughs> she's she's one of the nicest humans on earth, Janet Ellis. I've got a lot of time for her. She also smells like biscuits. Um My <laughs> Is favorite... a sign of good people? I think it might be. <laughs> mm, uh, you smell, you're a bourbon. You smell nice. No, I mean literally like a nice. Oh. <laughs> um... Karen Keating was my favourite movie presenter. Ah. I loved Karen Keating. And I think it's because she, she was just like a big sister. Hmm. She was like a really hot big sister. <laughs> um, no, she was just beautiful, wasn't she? She was a gorgeous person. She was, her style was warm and it didn't feel like it was, I wasn't being spoken to by one of those other kids presenters who was being happy and smiley. And whichever of the, of the dwarves were there at the time um, she was just a lovely down to earth gorgeous human being and I've had the honour of talking to her mum about her quite on quite a few occasions as well I've sat with her mum at dinner and um, I've told her what I know about her daughter and how much I love her and miss her of course as, as everyone does but um, I, th- I think she was one of the she for me summed up what a Blue Peter presenter should be and that's an all rounder she never said no to anything she was great at makes she was great at interviews she was heartfelt when she had to be you know, she was serious when she needed to be, and she was just she was she was exactly what a Blue Peter presenter should be, I think. I think they need one now.
0: Post BP, um, Chris Stevens asks, and we touched on this a bit with the filmmaking, what have you been up to since leaving Blue Peter? So what are the what are the would you say are the things you've hit as you've gone since? I think I'm still finding my feet because really, 'cause I'm I get bored very
1: quick. And I get I get very um the word that came to mind was deprecating. I, th- I think I I think I, think sabotage more than I create because it, I don't believe in it enough. So I th- I've been spending a bit of time creating things and then just throwing them away and going, nah, that's not good enough. And I think I'm trying to find my own, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've got, it's not really a mental block or, a, or a, a writer's block kind of thing, but I think I've got to a stage where, I think I should create a certain quality of something, and I'm not quite doing it yet. So I'm I'm just trying lots of things, whether it's helping people out with their filming, whether I'm making short films, whether I'm you know doing promos for people. I'm trying to find that thing that makes me buzz at the moment. So I'm not quite there yet, but I, I'll get there.
0: There's a reason for the the archetype of like the the scrunched up bits of paper in a bin getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It <laughs> t- takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, it if you sort of go, there it is, I found the thing. Yeah, I'm still looking for the I'm looking for the new sound. <laughs> Searching for that new sound, looking yeah. all around and round. Um, <laughs> is it wrong for a man to love his guitar? Don't finish that line. Uh, Rainbow Sky says, uh, "Did you prefer the presenting side or the acting side of your CBBC jobs? So, say like smile versus uh, bear behaving badly. Uh, which which one do we, which one do you feel like you you felt more f- fulfilled by doing? Initially, it was the presenting because it was something that was.
1: You know, you you feel like you're out front and you're the one that's in charge. And even though that couldn't be any further from the truth, you're basically being told what to wear, where to stand, what to say, how to do it, when to finish. You know, where you where you live. Check shirts, the future. You, have this yeah, gel. You really don't have any say so in anything that you do when you stand in front of a camera. But um, with acting, I guess I was playing myself, and so I I enjoyed that a lot more. Although the principle's the same, you're still reading a script. You're being, you know, you've got to stand in the same place and wear mm. what you're told to wear. But there was a there was a little bit more of me in in uh, in acting than there was in presenting. I think. I think presenting, I was just towing the line and saying what I had to say. Whereas, I'd, albeit doing it as myself, but I think when I was acting, it was um, I had a lot more fun. Even though there was no freedom, it felt like I had plenty of it. So, and you could be, you, you could add things to it as well. Your ideas were taken on board. You could add to the script. You could add live, and yeah, I think I think the acting side, actually, if I'm being honest about it, was probably my favourite part of the, of the career.
0: Is that why you you dive into Panto? Do you think like so so much because you've done quite a lot now right you've done you've up about 18 18 this is my 18th great. panto but I think there's a lot to be said for
1: looking into the eyes of your audience mm. we spend that many years in a fluorescently lit studio looking into effectively a camera lens it's very I mean, hell by the
0: time I got there looking into Debenhams security cameras on tripods yeah the domes yeah I remember yeah. those yeah three, three camera guys lost their jobs over those things yeah. oh was um, back now though The press it's, good it's, they should be it's, it's, all, it's
1: all you can't substitute oh. camera guys um I think it's a tough one, isn't it? I I think it's because looking into her face and seeing a smile off the back of a joke, there's no wonder there. You're seeing an instant reaction to what you've said. Mm. And it's deep joy in our case because we've we've got a very funny panto. It's it's a brilliant script. But I think there's there's a lot to be said for actually being in the room and feeling it rather than hoping it landed. You know, when you say something on camera... You might think it's funny, but you develop this sort of fake laugh where you'll say something and go, ha, that was funny, because which is what I did a lot, because it was like, well, I don't know whether it was, whether someone laughed at it, but it should be funny, you know. But I think when you're in a theatre and you hear that applause and you feel it and you're sharing the experience together, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like theatre. So I I like the idea of being, um, yeah, face to face with people and uh, you can see what you're doing, you can see it having an effect. Plus how often do you get to sword fight David Hasselhoff? Oh! one of the best moments ever if you'd have told me at 8 years old that I'd be fighting Knight Rider on stage oh my god I would have lost my tiny little mind yeah I've done some incredible things I really have done some incredible stuff over the years
0: um, uh, let's let's look at a, in our final question from Chewy Mort hello Olin uh, an alternate life here You're, uh, you've been on kids TV in one form or another for a fair few years now but is there a previous era that you might have liked to do or a show that you would love to have been on so we're talking like maybe the stuff you grew up with or the stuff that you was adjacent to when you were there. Is, is there. is there something that Barney Howard of Dimension C117 is doing that you're like, damn that guy, I wish I got to try that one out? I think one of the best Saturday morning kids shows
1: because of everything about the show, because of what it did and what it meant to kids, but also the fact that the people that were producing it really cared about kids, they wanted it to be a huge success, it was going live. Mm. Sarah Green, Philip Schofield... Um, those two nutters that swung their pants, um, <laughs> Trevor and Simon. I mean, I'm still still a huge fan. I had a pint with Simon not long ago, um, which was a nice thing to be able to say. Um, it was proper Saturday morning kids' telly. It was. It had kids at the heart of it. The audience were the most important part of that show, and everything was done for them, to them, about them. It was all about celebrating the fact. You're only a certain age for a certain amount of time and before you know it, life takes over and you're a teenager and hating everything. Then you've got to get to the stage where you realize you've got to do something with your life and work out who you're gonna be. But you've just spent the past five years moaning about it. Then you get to your mid twenties where you're like, Oh my god, I was a kid at like ten years, oh my I left school eight years ago, what am I doing with my life? I don't even have a girlfriend and my dog died yesterday. All these things start to happen in your life and you realise that the most important years of your life or when you were a kid, when you were allowed to use your imagination, when you were allowed to run around the streets making a motorbike noise and nobody would look. I I still do that, by the way. (laughs) I did it coming out of Debenhams yesterday. Um, I think children's television is so important. I think it's crucial. And I think there are some of the best years of your life. You just don't realise them until you're a bit too old to. And so um, I think that going live did that brilliantly. It did everything it should have done. And I think if I was to act again... Uh, but in a different era, I'd love to have been in (laughs) Rent-A-Ghost. Rent-A-Ghost was such a surreal world, but it was one of my favourite shows as a kid, and I'd I'd be Pop-Off, I think. I think I'd be some male version of Pop-Off. I I genuinely loved that show. It was like a magic show, but it had everything you could possibly expect. If you get a chance
0: to to YouTube Rent-A-Ghost, go and have a look and you're welcome. Well, we've learnt, we've loved, we've laughed, but most importantly... We've learnt that David smells of biscuits. He smells of biscuits. And I think that's the best thing of all. Barney, thank you so much for sitting down for a bit of broom cupboard. A bit of broom cupboard fun. You're welcome. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. Broom cupboard filth. Um, however, we, we have to go now and climb into tights and strap mics on. And we well, don't get to wear tights. You've avoided tights. Deliberately. On purpose. I've seen what
1: you look like in them and I can't do that to myself.
0: Aww. Babe. I thought they were quite complimentary, but never mind. Right, on that note, I'm going to go and worry about how my bum looks and uh, and you're going to go and grab your bow and arrow. And you lot, stick around. There's a lovely voice coming up to do some credits now. So bye. Goodbye. It's an ending, right?
1: No, it's not, it's not, that's one of the worst endings I've ever heard you do.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not a closer. You're not a closer. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to Out of the Broom Cupboard. This month's episode starred Mr. Barney Harwood. The theme music was Break Time by Incompetech, Kevin MacLeod. Head to the website and check out everything they have available. And if you're not already a patron, please head to patreon.com slash ootbc for exclusive video content, early episode releases, and much more. Special thanks to Chris Hayes, because he's a lovely man. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Death.
1: It comes to us all. It's important to spend our time wisely in the places that feed your soul with the people that heal your heart. Or you could spend your time listening to The Big Damn Cast, a pop culture podcast hosted by Matt Watson and Chris Johnson with their ever-present silent partner, the existential horror of your
0: own mortality. Big Damn Cast, available on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud every Thursday.